Before we get into the episode, I want to thank every one of the Forum Founders community for an incredible 2023. This podcast started out as a way to dog food our early stage product, but I quickly saw that this platform was way more valuable than the product we were building. It has been an immense pleasure and joy to be able to tell immigrant stories from all around the world, how we are shaping our communities with the companies that we're building. We have big plans for 2024 and we'll continue to tell more stories, highlight more ecosystems, and connect more immigrants together through our mastermind and meetups. If you're interested in any of those, whether you want to be a guest or join our meetups, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at forumfounderspod at gmail.com. The email is also in the description. I'm currently recording this little bit in Okayama, Japan, in a closet in my family home while they're still sick. Thanks, jet lag. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and an incredible end and start to the year. And thank you for continuing to be a part of the Forum Founders community. Have a happy new year. Now, this final episode of the year is with my good friend, Leo Klisman. Leo is an incredible founder and entrepreneur, and you'll hear that throughout the episode with his captivating stories. Leo is currently co-founder and COO of a security and compliance company for startups and large businesses. However, Leo's superpower is his ability to help others realize and achieve their own success. When he's not working on Sentin, he is advising founders, investors, operators from all backgrounds on their operational and GTM motions, and he works with many immigrants as an advisor. We record this episode in person with one microphone, so sorry for the quality, but I thought the conversation was incredible. And this was recorded back in September of there. Without waiting any further, I present my conversation with Lior Clinton. You're listening to Foreign Founders, where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future. We share stories of their upbringing, culture, and background, and explore the companies and products they're building. We want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told. Thank you for joining us. Actually, I think this is good. Yeah, but it's really different because I'm still learning this craft and... In person, I can just like ride your energy no. into like what I go to next. Okay. And then it's always hard. I, I'm glad that you're thinking about it with like a co-host too, because really having that connection between two people that you can do continuous. Like a lot of my interviews are one time. Like I talk to them 30 minutes first and then we're like, okay, let's book another time for the recording. But having someone where you're a co-host where you can like every week do that bounce, 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 and people just like feel like they're in the same room as you. I think there's some other like energy and connection that happens in those environments too. Yep. I completely agree. There's definitely something that you lose by doing something remote, whether if it's yeah. companies, whether if it's humans, I mean, you cannot, at least for extroverts, at least, yeah. you cannot compare the difference between in-person versus remote. Yeah. So of course, in a podcast, when you talk about the discussion that's intriguing, you'll get so much more from looking in somebody's eyes okay. and talking to them. Same thing with a co-host. Now, funny enough, the majority of the podcasts that I love the most don't have a co-host. Oh, interesting. Our single person that brings many interesting people 
and together they co-host, co-create something. Interesting. So the co-host becomes the interviewee. But they're all interview podcasts? Yes. Okay. That's the thing. They're interview podcasts, but they're not run as an interview. They're run as a just discussion. And sometimes they even flip yeah. the roles. The interviewee becomes the interviewer and asks questions of the person who's running the podcast. I think that leads also to some magic where all of a sudden the person who is used to ask the question gets question themselves yeah. and makes them think about things that usually they don't think so it's all about the conversation wait what's your favorite podcast then? my favorite podcasts funny enough are in hebrew lately okay they're coming out of israel yeah it sounds like i'm very stigmatic about that but i'm not <laughs> One of the greatest podcasts in the world I mean, is how I built this. But yeah. again, that's just an interviewing, you know, one-on-one. Yeah. And it's always fascinating to see how other people made their dreams. Another one that I really love out of Stanford that does have a co-host. And it's Think Smart, Talk Fast. I think you recommended that to me. Yeah. And that's, awesome. that's a fun one because I do awesome. love communication podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts that talk about communication, interpersonal dynamics, things yeah. that fuel me personally so that's a great podcast that i listen to often the rest of the other three podcasts that i usually a tight follower are coming out of israel one in the tech one it's my aunt who's no been a, a leadership and an organizational coach for the past 30 years working with you know huge corporations and doing leadership training to their leadership teams and she's like mecca when it comes to like organizational and how you make lemonade from lemons we'll call it yeah and another one that talks about anything that doesn't have to do with work like how can we be healthier how can we face our fears uh, compassion everything in the more of the spiritual side yeah. that belongs also to business that they bring different doctors and different professors to talk about different scenarios the rest i mean i love books so i yeah. much rather spend my time listening to a book than the podcast majority yeah. of the time i agree And yeah, I do like 20 Minute VC. That's another podcast that I yeah. find myself listening Harry, to. Right? Yeah. The reason I listen to it is because I use it to sometimes to people who I advise to. Because they do give good information about fundraising and about how yeah. to look at VCs. Even though he's from London, still I think everything applies here to the Valley. So, yeah. yeah. My favorite is Econ Talk. Have you listened to it? I have not. It's with a professor for, or the dean for one of the universities in Israel. But he used to be like a Stanford hmm. professor. Awesome. Great interviewer. Like he's like a next level interviewer. I'll check it out. You'll have to send it to me. I do like conversations with Tyler. Have you listened to him before? Never heard of him. Uh, he's like another professor too. But he talks to a lot of tech people. And his interview style is super interesting. They're very different, like the two interview style. The econ talk one is very, you know, you go to a conversation and you're having like an interview and he's read your whole book catalog. So like all the things that he like brings in is like you reference this section and blah, blah, blah. Like it's very detailed. Yeah, it's super interesting the way how he interviews people and like, tries to get the best. How he asks the really out. interesting questions that the reason why I started this podcast is because I listened to Tyler's episode with Nubar Afian, who was the CEO of uh, Moderna. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was fascinating because one part at the end, Tyler was like, how can we get more people like you to America? And Nubar's uh, like, answer was incredible. I had it on my Evernote and I was like, this is how, like, we need to attract more people like this. And I want to yeah. be like, you know, building a platform that does that. So yeah, those two I recommend a lot. Yeah.
that's where we, as you know, we're both loving the immigrant founders, and that's my next phase in life too, helping bring those special people yeah. to continue building this amazing place that we all call home. Yeah. So I want to get started with, we talked for a little bit, but who are you exactly? <laughs> oh, wow. See, that's not expected. <laughs> who am I? Who am I? I guess I'm Lior. I'm from Israel originally. I was born to parents who worked for the government in security, so you know, security and politics were two main topics around the dinner table. Security became an obsession where politics did not. <laughs> I lived in uh, about eight different countries in my life, from smaller stints as a kid to larger stints and numerous places as an adult. Uh, and where are they? What are the countries? Yeah. I'll be some lists. But a uh, small stint in Singapore, Belgium, Germany, Sweden, Norway, New York, California, and India. I think that's seven. Yeah. Nice. Right. Yeah. And got to see a lot of things, a whole lot of cultures, fell in love with people from a very young age. One of the biggest pivotal, instrumental parts of my life is those times where I lived in different places meeting different friends, meeting different communities, and understanding how different people live differently, which is very different than how I was raised in Israel, where it was pretty primitive while mm -hmm. growing up, one could say. All my parents' friends were small business owners. I can't think of a single friend other than my parents that didn't own their own business. So as a young kid, that fascinates me, why everyone has their businesses, why they're fairly successful, and why we couldn't, you know, have the same means that they could. It drove me nuts, but it built the fuel that, you know, I still carry until this very moment. So what did the people who had businesses have that you, you saw that you didn't have? I mean, to sum it up, it sounds weird, but materials. As a kid, you don't really understand what's really happiness, fulfillment, or freedom, or all those things. Health. You see material, better car, better homes. Their kids on trips can get what they want. I couldn't. I have fights in my home about money. I don't know if that's the fight that the other homes have, but in my mind back then, they don't. It was all rosy. Yeah, it was all rosy. <laughs> Later in life, you realize that the money doesn't make, money and happiness have no relation to one another. Far from being the case. But as a kid, that drove me, that, that survival of wanting more, of, you know, taking risks, not being scared. It's all things that I've learned from talking to them. Mm. Talking about, like, ages 7 to 11, you know, I, I was curious. I was a very curious kid. I wanted to know why. There's a lot of whys that I needed to know. Uh, along with technologies of breaking hardware apart, building it together, so, like, my two obsessions were business, without really understanding what business means, yeah. and technology, without really understanding what that means either, you know, yeah. the dot-com boom and all that era. At 12 years old, I started my first business, joined another person, and we sold pretzels outside of football stadiums. I'm a huge football fan and been going since I can remember myself with my dad. What's your team? It's called Apoel Tel Aviv, the I red side know. of the city. High, high fun, right? Yeah. That's a big team? You know, yes, <laughs> yeah. they are a big team in recent years. <laughs> I like a foil, not Haifa, but yeah. In Tel Aviv, we have a couple of teams. Haifa is another city. They have their own team there. Growing up to it, I've always ate those pretzels growing up. So when I got to 12, and we've always, outside of our home stadium, there was always the same person that sold it. So I got to know him. And then at the age around 12, I asked, hey, 
why don't we come and I come to games hours before anyhow as yeah. a true fan would <laughs> and let's do another cart and I'll stand in another in the other side of the stadium and he was shocked in the beginning that I had that I was with my dad I remember when I offered it and he asked my dad if he was okay with it and he said yes don't tell your mother that was like okay <laughs> so I went on and did it for a year made some money out of it it was really fun understanding like you know need to be on time for something need to sell yourself people don't come to you you have to bring people to you and that helped me tremendously with sales gigs later on and businesses and mm-hmm. You know, later in life, you realize how your dots are connected to earlier things that you had experienced. So that's one of those connectors. Yeah. Then at 15-year-old, 15 or 16, I thought I'll be the next fashionista. I started a clothing brand for T-shirts. Spent, you know, back then it seemed a crazy amount, like 5K on the inventory that I got. It seemed like a huge amount. Like streetwear? Yeah, pretty much. Like nice. T-shirts. Uh, brought them to Israel. Wasn't able to sell more than 10. It was like my first glory failure I was miserable yeah I didn't understand why people didn't want it so then I started giving them out for free why, like, why do you think people wanted it in hindsight I didn't really think too much I saw it because <laughs> I like I thought if I like them everybody likes them yeah. again 16 you don't really think you just do <laughs> yeah. and you know what now looking back in retrospect I'm glad I did because it was a good lesson early on that if you want to build something think about it yeah Like actually do some work before, not, oh, because you like it, everyone else will like it. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It applies to products that we talk about today. It applies to anything in our life. So that was the first lesson of, okay, you thought something will succeed. It failed miserably, but that fueled me. I was like, all right, so that's what failure feels like. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I can cope. And then, you know, finished high school, went to the military. So that's all halted. What division were you in? I was in intelligence. I was an operational officer. Nice. Dealt with security systems, infrastructures, networks, fish recognition, things of that notion. Yeah. Didn't love it. Learned a lot. Didn't love the secrecy about it all. It wasn't where I saw my life. Yeah. continue my parents like being in a government organization not being able to say like being Edward Snowden not that I can <laughs> c- compete today, by far but just as a small you know, explanation I didn't see myself running that life I knew that I want to talk to people I knew that I want to explore the world I wanted to run my own businesses the private market was calling my name from afar yeah I'm gonna sum it now went to college to learn business management and economics decided after a few months that it's not for me dropped out monitored classes for the following year of classes that I wanted to do like budgeting pricing financial strategies things of that notion yeah then went to study for some IT certification like an engineer and an architect realized that I don't want to work for being really an engineer but I want to build things mm-hmm. on top of it or sell it or things of that notion during that time I had my stints in Europe in different places kind of making a living selling oil paintings in London or selling oil paintings in Sweden just so I can travel more yeah. and trying different things my fun years I call it and then moved to New York where started my you know through and through the immigrant journey yeah of Coming with very little money, the, the typical immigrant with no clue of where I'm going and a lot of big dreams. Yeah. Why, why New York? Because of the painting? Like, was that the connection there? No, I went to visit. My best friend went to move to New York to work in IT. Yeah. I came to visit him and fell in love with Manhattan. Now I'm talking about the 22-year-old boy sees Manhattan. It's oh, hard to be. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is, I'm like... Every other place I lived in, yeah. I need to be here. I literally went back to Israel, folded my stuff. After two months, I moved. 2,000 bucks 
two two and a half k in my pocket moved yeah. no job or anything but i knew that i have my best friend there so i have an apartment i have a safe landing everything else is the unknown but i know that he'll help me i know i have a safe roof and that's all i needed to know in order to make the jump yeah 2.5k in your bank 22 years old Arriving to Manhattan. Arriving to Manhattan. <laughs> Found very quickly a real estate job to be like a broker, like to, to rent apartments. Didn't realize how much money you have to invest in it to get the listings, all that. And first and foremost, how much you need to know the freaking city that you're going to help people. And I didn't know anything. So I would go to an apartment with somebody, with a couple or whatever. And they were like, which restaurants or which subway is closer? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's look it up. (laughs) So it didn't work. After like about three, four weeks, I decided to let it go. I couldn't do it anymore. And my bank was starting to get lower and lower. Thankfully, I found through another connection, I found a barista job that the person who owned it was uh, hiring immigrants and paying them under the table. Mm-hmm. not going to mention the name <laughs> thank goodness for that angel who did that yeah. and I worked for the following year as a barista yeah. double shifts, weekends, whatever I could to make ends meet, meeting people and just getting to know where I'm living like enjoying like a 22 year old knowing that he wants to build a career but being like okay I'll do whatever is available, anything to not go back home, I, I didn't come to America I was thinking I'll do huge hit very you know bunch of money in a very short time and leave yeah. i knew that oh, i'm going to start a new life in a new place yeah. so that was the idea and why didn't you get the same feeling and allure of like when you're in europe and living there like what was the difference this was after a few years of living in europe in between places and lived in europe as a kid i just liked in that moment mm-hmm. what the u.s had to offer new york had to offer me more mm-hmm. There wasn't any reason. I always thought, and I remember what fueled me and what had me continue even through the hardest times, and it was the first few years were extremely hard, was the fact that I could go to Europe or to Israel at any point and show something happen. But I wanted to make a life here. I knew from a very young age, you know, we all see movies about America. We all see things. I mean, it was the creme de la creme coming to the States and making a life here, and that's where I wanted to be. I wonder if it's... The physical distance, too. Like, Israel's half the world away. That didn't help it. I didn't feel better about it. It actually felt hard. Even to this day, it feels hard. Even now that I'm in, you know, and we're in California, it's even harder. Yeah. It helped me in a sense that I was able to build my own wings Mm -hmm. away from my family, away from everyone I knew, and kind of be a new person in a new chapter of my life. Call it Lior 2.0. Right now, I'm Lior 4.0, hypothetically. Yeah. So that helped a lot, but same thing I would get the feeling in Europe. Maybe a bit less because it's much closer, you can go to Israel easier, your family can come to you much easier. So yes, there is that thing, but my best friend was living there, so I knew I had a little home. It was me and him against the world, Yeah, kind of back then. Yeah, so you're there as a barista for a year? For a year, and then through my best friend back then, he helped me find another job in the security system, finally doing things that I know how to do, things that I wanted to be doing. And the person who owned that company, again, took a risk, risk that I would have never taken any one of my companies. And I, again, thank that angel, who also in time turned to be the best mentor I've ever had. Four years there, learned anything about anything that has to do with business. So I did every position in the company. I stayed until midnight every day with him going over balance sheet, income statements, why we're paying different vendors, that salaries. He really was fine teaching me everything and being an open book. Mm -hmm. 
in return, he took advantage of me not being of a girl's illegal, and I worked my ass off, and vacations were not a thing that in anyone's dictionary yeah. or vocabulary, yeah. for that matter. But it was the best, you know, college, master's, PhD that I could ever get. I came out of it knowing business. I could operate a running business off my head. Mm -hmm. I, that's where businesses started coming to me of what I can do and how I can do it. From there, I worked in other small companies, opened one business in New York, moved into California. Wasn't the right partnership for many different reasons, mainly because the New York unit wanted to stay in New York. They wanted to have like a complete different unit. I wanted to combine it all. So we said goodbye nicely, and that's when I opened Sentence. That was a bootstrap company that helped with IT and security and compliance for startups and their investors. Bootstrapped it completely. Uh, By yourself. Me and another partner. Yeah. Two to three hundred percent year over year growth. How'd you meet the partner? Through mutual connection. We were both in the same industry. I had another company. He just started Sentent. I was coming out of that previous company. And we said, okay, let's try to do it together and try to grow it. Yes, seven years later, we got acquired and exited last August. And now I'm mainly uh, spending my time doing advisory role, helping immigrants expand to the U.S., yeah. building a startup around the immigrant founders, uh, and so forth. So this is who I am, and I am a few. And, but, you know, who I am is a person who loves people, investing in people, loves meeting new humans, loves learning about different cultures, loves history, and loves community and family. That's who I am on a personal note, outside of everything I talked about my life's career journey yeah multifaceted so many arts here aren't we Sorry all operators that. are multifaceted yeah. i feel like we have to be if you're yeah. an operator you're a multifaceted person and yeah. if not don't go into ops yeah well, i feel like for you it's extra special too because you have a lot of like interest in a lot of different things and like you operator to business founder to now investor right so you've seen a lot in that early stage of your career still technically yeah. <laughs> definitely fortunate to get to see you know i'm 35 i don't know at all but i'm very fortunate to have gotten to see a whole lot of stuff and it's not just because of the companies that i built or the companies i worked for in the past but it's also the companies that we've helped through my companies yeah. and seeing those founders and their journey from growth to acquisition to becoming public to failing uh, to everything in between and just being an immigrant over and over again i think teaches you hard lessons about yeah. being uncomfortable and that's okay being okay to fail and you know the cliche of it doesn't matter how many times you fail it's how fast you get up which is not really a cliche it's i true believe it yeah. it's inked in my brain yeah what were the hardest parts when you're starting out as an immigrant founder for Santin? Getting clients, I think. I mean, I will, we, we were in the service business, but I think that implies to any company, even in the product. Selling, yeah, getting clients, getting yeah. traction, getting people to be buyers and uh, to be believers in, uh, yeah. in what you do or what you offer. That, while also being different, going the extra mile for your clients, being different, understanding your differentiators, yeah. doing research, learning the persona of your ideal customer profile, learning the persona of your company. I think those were hard in the beginning. And once we were able to crack those things, of not getting easier because I don't believe there's easy in business. Business. It's not meant to be easy, yeah. but things have, we passed over another obstacle. There's been in our journey many, many obstacles that I think every business goes through. Mm -hmm. 
And each obstacle, once you pass it, whether if it was successfully or unsuccessfully, teaches you to the next phase, builds you, makes you a little bit stronger to the next phase. Yeah. So having that early set of customers as a service business, that was a challenge because you have to learn a lot of different things, whether it's like cultural or like didn't have a network initially, that those were like big challenges, right? Yeah, it's, it's the cultural, it, it's all of it. It's which clients do you want and then how do you get them? Which networking groups you need to join? How are you going to talk their language? Who is the buyer? Who is the gatekeeper? Yeah. Why you versus so many others that are doing what you do? But those are general business challenges. Yeah. But those aren't necessarily like immigrant challenges. If we're talking about specifically immigrant, I think is the cultural, yeah. no learning how to speak with different people. Mm. For me, one of them, for example, as a personal experience, was moving from New York to California. All of a sudden, you yeah. speak completely different. Totally different. The directors in New York doesn't work very well here in California. So adapting no. to that, lowering, you know, if we're talking about like a funny analogy in a car, lowering to the second gear instead of the fifth gear, which is New York, <laughs> took a little bit of adapting. Yeah. Making relationships, understanding that relationships don't take a second for everyone good. Making network, networking, making friends here making friends to start a bit. So I think immigrants are not immigrant. The business challenges are exactly the same. Maybe non-immigrants have a better knowledge of it, but they're exactly the same. I think the main difference, and that's where I don't agree with a lot of people who say that immigrants have different business challenges than non-immigrants. I think that's BS. I think the challenges are the personal ones, making the sense of belonging, making friends, making community, understanding your city, opening accounts, visa, all those things. That's what makes it hard because those are much bigger clouds for any human, let alone trying on top of it to build a business and the business challenges. Yeah. So I think that's where immigrants really struggle more than non-immigrants. Business challenges is the same. Yeah. Now, people have different solutions to those same challenges. Yeah. And you can get creative. For example, I'm a huge believer of the footwork habit, meaning I, in the earlier years, knocked on doors left and right. Now we live in a world after the pandemic that we all knock on Zooms left and right, the less on doors. But I used to go in SF in buildings and I would have one lead and I would go each floor to knock on doors, see if they need my services. Yeah. And I would just not give up. I would look before I went in. I would look who I wanted to speak to. I would find them. I would do the work. And the, I call it the footwork habit. But again, those are business challenges. They're not immigrant challenges. The immigrant challenges on top of that is, okay, I'm doing all that, but how can I also have my life? Like, how do I just move to California after yeah. New York? Now I need to make new friends. Where's the right places to go? Yeah. Where's all the VCs or where's all the startups? Like spending time learning the map of the city. Yeah. Like I spent days learning the map of SF, trying to remember neighborhoods, trying to remember which neighborhood stood for what in sense of business and non-business. Yeah. So I think all that is worth like, immigrant specific challenges yeah i've talked to so many founders who are just like immigrant founders who are like i have founder friends so i can ask them all about these like you know founder specific questions that they deal with but i rarely have like immigrant like i can't find them and that's where i think opportunities like foreign founders it's like i'm trying to connect people to that because i think like you said there's very specific questions tactically for you though with sentin by that point did you have a green card or were you hired? Oh, I had a green card. As a H1B. No, I had a green card. Yes. I took the. Yeah, I said immigrant through and through. I didn't get uh, sponsored or anything. I yeah. had to to go through the trenches. I'll call it. But yeah, I had a green card by the time I started any one of my business. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't be able to start it. 
Absolutely. Don't recommend anyone to do that too. If you're in the States illegally, don't start a business. <laughs> yeah. There is yeah, yeah. different between starting a business in your home country and moving it, expanding it to the US. Yeah. Different regulations, different visas, but I wouldn't do it. And yeah, I agree with you. There is, I think in general, founders saying, I'm going to ask my other founder friends. It's a sentence we hear all the time. Great. It's helpful. But usually if you see the talks that you have with your quote unquote founder friends are super shallow. They're like very specific transactional. Oh, do you know which visa? Yes, it's this. Or do you know somebody from the yes, it's this? They're not like, okay, let's talk about what keeps us up at night because no one wants to admit next to their other founders that they're struggling. That's why you have advisors. That's why you have business coaches. We have mentors, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I think the founder's friends saying that my founder friends, it's not going to get you the help maybe that you seek more. And even between immigrant founders, there's ways to create, you know, that community. And, you know, because you've been dealing with them, I'm building the community for immigrant founders to be an act and participate, which Andy are going to be part of in some ways uh, shape or form yeah. but yeah there is ways to bring immigrant founders together there is ways to bring them together to speak authentically about their struggles and it's really hard you know statistically and i've done so much research on this matter when an immigrant moves here no matter the culture mm-hmm. if they didn't have friends from home from their home country it takes on average between five to ten years to make one or two meaningful relationships when i say meaningful relationship or not acquaintances friends you sometimes meet for dinner or go out with or have some events with I'm talking about people who you see as true friends yeah. true friendship people who you know no matter what they'll be there for you and you'll be for them it takes on average five to 10 years no matter the culture again the only caveat is unless you had like me for example I my best friend was here so I've had that even though I needed to make many other friends because one best friend is not going to teach me about America my best Israeli friend but it takes time it takes time and doesn't matter for Chinese people where there's so much community for Israeli people that there is so much community for any culture because you Even though we have Facebook groups, we have this and that and all these things that you could go meet people from your own country, doesn't necessarily mean, and most times the opposite, that you'll make a meaningful relationship fast from it. Relationship, as I said earlier about business, takes time to cultivate true relationships. Yeah. And just like anything, that's something that one of my biggest focuses to, I want to minimize that five to 10 years. Yeah. And I have ideas of how to do it. Now, I have so many questions for you around that. <laughs> Because I agree, uh, I think for me, like you, I've been bouncing around so many different countries like growing up. So the natural default for me is like picking up and then going somewhere and then building a community really quickly. In the last two years, I've been realizing I'm really good at like, meeting people and being friendly with them when I meet them. But then if you look at it on the long horizon, I'm really not that good at building relationship over time because I'm really good at the front end, but really like poor at the back end. Yeah. And I think I've been trying to consciously be better at the back end of the problem because I think, like you said, last two years I've been thinking about like how do I meet my co-founders and I realized whenever I'm talking to people founders all their co-founder like business relationship personal relationship anything friendship they're all built over time and so I've been like again maybe that's the flip side of being an immigrant where you like plug yourself out from one place and then go to another you're really good at that front end piece of like building relationship and then the back end piece at least for me is like really hard 
it's definitely a mix of both and I definitely agree with it it is the in the funny analogy <laughs> the front and the back end but yes there is the initial impression creating the connection and then cultivating a relationship so we'll call it the connection to a relationship yeah and that's the the difference now they vary so for me I come from a mother who that has as many friends as I have ever met somebody has. And she was so good about keeping the connections and making relationships that I've learned that gift from her. I thank her. She's one of my biggest aspirations in life. And it's really the gift that she embedded in me. The connections are so important, but connections cannot be good enough if you don't make a relationship. And some people are harder for them to check, to follow up. Yeah. Be the bigger person. Yeah. And reach out and see how they're doing. If it's a holiday, say happy holiday. If it's a birthday, it doesn't have to be that every week you do. So the, a relationship doesn't have to be like an obsession. It can be, even though a great relationship, it takes time. Because anything good takes time. Yeah. As they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. But you know, you gave your experience, which for you, it's easy to make the connection. And it's harder to make the relationship. And where I'm, I'm having an easier time with both of them. It didn't come easy. A practice and it's a continue. And it's a desire, a desire to keep. connections that I really enjoy for example our connection that we text from time to time it's the same thing it's like we both make an effort to do it so it takes effort and it can be one person's effort without the per- the other person or without that person that makes more effort feeling ego about it or oh, it's a give and take why am I the only one that needs to be touched I put that aside if I really want to be in touch I'm in touch I always I don't assume and I know some people are having a harder time with it so it only takes one person from a connection to do it Then we talk about the whole other side of the spectrum for people who are introverts. There are some people who can make the connection, let alone the relationship. How do you help those type of people? Now, that's a whole separate podcast oh, uh, that we can get into. But that's something that fascinates me as well. Is working with extroverts is easy for me. Because, for example, if me and you go a few drinks and we talk about how to make a connection into a relationship, you'll get it. And once you start doing it, you'll see the difference. Doing the same thing with an introvert, somebody who doesn't like to go outside. Sorry, I'll rephrase it. Not that doesn't like to go outside. That sounds horrible. That doesn't like to go outside of their comfort zone. That doesn't like to go and put themselves out there to meet others. How do they make connection yeah. if they're immigrant and they just moved here? Because not every immigrant is an extrovert. You don't have to be an extrovert in order to choose to leave one place to move to another. Yeah. I mean, there is many things of life struggles that doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert that you'll want to move from where you grew up, anywhere you grew up. So I think there is also this side of the coin of, hey, if you're an introvert, how do you make it? And even introverts can make real connections. Maybe they won't have five or six or seven best women, but all they really need is one or two to really make meaningful relationships, to feel a sense of belonging. All they need is a little neighborhood with a few things that they know They don't, for example, like us, that want the huge cities and all the metropolitan. So it really depends on the, on the person. And that's where I love, you know, interpersonal you know, because each person is different. Each person. Even within your family, the siblings are different, you know. So what might work for you or for me, not necessarily will work for somebody else. So the idea is understanding who that one else, what's their strength, what's their weaknesses. And working on that yeah and there's a way to work on it and I'm not a therapist I'm not yeah. a psychologist I mean learn psychology but you know from my life experience from reading from meeting others and talking all my life I've been talking about those yeah. uh, from a very young age talking about the difference between living elsewhere because I've just been in those situations being in classrooms where I didn't know anyone yeah and then going back home and people asking so I've had to talk about it and yeah it's fascinating when you speak one-on-one to people how much change you can if they want that change yeah 
And that's another, for example, an immigrant challenge, not a business challenge. Yes, it's also a business challenge because if you can make connections for your own life, probably having a hard time making connections for your company, whether if it's fundraising or clients or being a good or, or being a good founder to bring founder-led sales or hiring. So those are all the things you see. That's what gets me excited. Yeah, is those conversations. So how are you helping immigrant founders in your new phase of Leo? Is like. One on an advisory role. When I say advisory, some of them are non-formal, meaning once a month. If somebody wants to talk, I'll be happy to talk to anyone. I really enjoy it. And it's my time to give back after a lot they've given me through the years. Others of more formal candidates that have become an advisory board and really walk them through. And it's mainly CEO mentorship of how to move and when you move. It's the personal side, the business side, and all that fun stuff that we talked about. Building another startup to bring immigrant founders together mm-hmm. and uh, providing a bigger help more massive and more at scale as a passion business helping accelerators that focus on immigrant founders helping VCs that are focusing on immigrant founders yeah you know I hear myself sometimes talking it's like oh he's all about immigrants I actually work with numerous non-immigrant founders and I really enjoy it I just think that the non-immigrant founders have much more of a networking community to find other mentors whether if it's college or really founder friends or even VCs that they know where immigrants is a bit different depending I don't work with many serial founders because again they've seen it once or twice they don't really need my help unless I do help some on strategic partnerships but the people who I really enjoy are the first time founders mainly immigrant or non-immigrant and really helping them with their challenge and their growth and their what I call walking in the desert and there's nothing more gratifying than walking the desert with them and coming out of it yeah i can't think of anything more satisfying other than intimate relationships and uh, love and family and health yeah (laughs) talking about business wise let's put that in perspective well this is amazing and you're really interesting like thoughts and you know your experience into helping immigrant founders i always wrap up you know i would love to have you on in future episodes but i always wrap up with what are you optimistic about What I'm optimistic about. I'm optimistic about the new workforce that we as humans are building and putting a lot of our past patterns and the hierarchy and the patriarchy away and growing into a new phase of true living organisms. That's how I see organizations mm-hmm. nowadays. And I'm also excited about the the awakening that we all have about our personal growth, whether from people breathing more and doing breath work, yoga, meditations, and bringing that personal growth elements into our work. Because again, talking from a founder perspective, fueling ourselves with things that make us happy and free mm-hmm. is the only way that we can work nonstop and have that dedication and that drive to continue pushing and killing it in our businesses. So that's what I'm optimistic about. And I can be optimistic about politics, but let's not get into that. <laughs> At least not today. <laughs> not today, no. Well, thanks. Thanks, Leo. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me, and we'd love to join next time in the future. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast app. One more thing. Foreign Founders is a new podcast, so please consider leaving a rating or review. That helps more people find the show. See you on the next episode.